Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, what approach will the Prime Minister take when he unveils his cabinet tomorrow? He is a feminist leader and he believes in a gender balanced cabinet. And he's been clear that that is the kind of cabinet that he is building. Which MPs might lose their cabinet posts? Well, I'll be interested to see what he does about the underperformers or the people who've, uh, who've you know, uh, by most accounts have not, you know, risen to the challenges in front of them. And that probably starts with the Defence Minister, Harjit Sajjan, and the ongoing mess inside national defense and, and allegations and actions of sexual misconduct. And Aaron O'Toole faces more questions about mandatory vaccination for MPs in the House of Commons. It will be extremely important that everyone be vaccinated when the House returns. And uh, from the announcement of the return of the House, if someone who didn't get vaccinated, has an MP who hasn't yet gotten vaccinated, chooses to get vaccinated with the first and then the wait and then the second dose, uh, they should be able to return to the House uh, in time for the return of the House on November 22nd. It's Monday, October 25th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer, and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Morning, Mark. So this is shaping up to be a very interesting week. Uh, it's been more than a month now since the election, and we are finally tomorrow going to hear who will be in the next federal cabinet. There are obviously some changes that are necessitated by uh, people who are not members of the Liberal caucus going forward. Um, and then there are changes perhaps uh, necessitated by performance and by the need for Justin Trudeau to put a fresh face on this government. So what are you expecting? Yeah, I think uh, there's two or three different sort of areas to, to look at. Uh, you've touched on the fact that uh, you know this prime minister has been committed to uh, gender parity in cabinets and, and has promised diversity in cabinets. So he's... You know, he lost four women cabinet ministers, and and you know, who, you know, Catherine McKenna quit before the election. Three women ministers were defeated in the election, so he's got some uh, spots to fill there uh, with women, just by making sure that the, the parity is there in cabinet. So, it'll be interesting to see who gets those spots and and, and how he fills them. So, there's that. Uh, they, you know, I'll be interested to see what he does about the underperformers or the people who've, who've you know, uh, by most accounts have not, you know, risen to the challenges in front of them. And that probably starts with the Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan and the ongoing mess inside national defence and, and allegations and actions of sexual misconduct. So want to see how seriously he takes that and, and whether that change takes place and, the, you know, the wide speculation is that it will, and whether perhaps a, a female Minister of Defence is, is put into that portfolio to try and straighten that place out. Uh, also, lots of questions around uh, the performance of the Health Minister, Patty Haidu, what happens to her, and also uh, Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations, Carolyn Bennett, uh, she got into some trouble before and during the election campaign about some of the things she said. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I'll be paying close attention to how he deals with, you know, how he deals with the, the recurring and lingering challenges and uh, problems in, in these big files that have, uh, you know, plagued his government for months now and whether he takes decisive action uh, in a change of direction with new people in charge there. And then I'll be looking to see the makeup of cabinet. So which, you know, not just the, the parity and diversity, but 
who he puts in which roles will indicate, I, I think, how you know where the government is is planning to put all its focus in the months ahead. We're we're in this pivot point mark between. Uh, the worst days of the pandemic and some better days for the pandemic in most parts of the country. And then the whole notion, the ambitious agenda that Justin Trudeau has put out there about rebuilding better, uh, building back better with a focus on, uh, on the green economy, focus on, you know, climate change, housing, indigenous issues. So I'll be looking at, uh, you know, who ends up in those key portfolios, which will say a lot about where this prime minister plans to put uh, the focus of the next uh, at least couple of years in the minority parliament. Yeah. And how many changes do you expect? How uh, how much of an overhaul do you expect with this with this new government because there haven't been a lot of changes in the past. It's been a it's been a pretty stable cabinet and and some people would point to the fact that Harjit Sajjan has been in defense for so long despite so many problems as an example of that. Yeah. Um that's a fair point. So uh, that's what to watch for. Will it be a, a sign of sort of continuity? Most of the same players in most of the same roles. I think, uh, you know, that could be the case. But he has no choice but to to replace uh, some of those ministers who were defeated. So we know that's a given. The question is who who moves into those roles? Does he feel he has enough uh, of the right people left over uh, that were in 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 the last government, or do we see a whole lot of new faces in? in some of the uh, people who were elected, in particular some of the women elected in in the last election for the Liberals, have uh, some very impressive CVs. So did they end up, uh, you know, you know, vaulting straight into cabinet from uh, having just won elections, or whether does he tap some of those people who have been there for a while? But I think it could be fairly substantial. Uh, you know, and that's measured in a couple of ways, and we've sort of touched on it. Substantial in terms of numbers. Do a lot of people change to new portfolios? even though some of them uh, may be existing you know, ministers from the last cabinet? Uh, or do we see a, a significant overhaul? Uh, and, and is this the time to do it? Yeah. In, a third, third, in his third mandate, uh, in another minority parliament, is this the chance to really change the look of the cabinet with a focus on, uh, as I say, implementing this ambitious agenda to come over the next couple of years? All right, let's turn to Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the Conservative Party. And uh, there's been some back and forth in the past week, and I'm sure there will be more questions about it in the next couple of days over the House of Commons vaccination policy, which was determined by the Board of Internal Economy, a small group of of MPs who serve on that committee. Um, And originally, Aaron O'Toole said he would abide by those rules, and then he said they weren't fair. Um, and, And that may have come presumably from some pushback from within his own caucus. What do you make of all of that? It's another challenging issue for Aaron O'Toole. We saw it on a number of different issues, you know, uh, during the election campaign on, you know, some social issues on gun control uh, and on vaccination in in the election campaign. And it's the gift that seems to keep on giving. It's back, uh, you know, uh, and we start to see this pattern where Aaron O'Toole tells everybody what he thinks. And then suddenly he's moving off of that view, uh, you know, uh, based on the reaction to party members or caucus members. This is a difficult issue uh, for conservatives to, to get around. And there's, you know, it's a, in many ways, it's a no-win issue. If you if you say you're taking a principled stand against, you know, um, you know, members of parliament who are unvaccinated or refuse to disclose their vaccination status, not being able to take their seats in the House of Commons, 
uh, is that a breach of their privileges? Uh, right. you know, perhaps uh, that's the argument they make. But what about all the MPs on the other side who say it's a breach of their privileges for unvaccinated members of parliament to want to enter, uh, you know, enter the uh, the precinct? So, I mean, but I think the big the big problem is that Aaron O'Toole said, you know, last week that uh, you know that we'll abide by the rule, and then. A couple of days later, his office is putting in a statement saying the rule is unfair. Um, bottom line is, if this becomes a challenge inside the House of Commons when the House does reconvene uh, towards the end of November, uh, what will uh, I believe what would happen is that if they pushed it, uh, they would end up having a vote of members of the House of Commons, and that vote, given the the vaccination positions of the Liberals, the New Democrats, the Greens, and the Bloc Québécois, that vote would pass anyway. So the notion that it's a, a little committee of members of Parliament making a decision that's unfair to Conservatives, well, at some point it'll be the vast majority of members of Parliament, uh, or certainly the majority of members of Parliament, because you, you could conceivably have, if there's a vote on this, on a matter of principle, even the vaccinated Conservatives would all vote against this kind of tactic or this kind of vote. Uh, but it's going to pass if it comes to a vote in the House of Commons. So you have that position by the Conservatives. And on the other hand, they don't want to have a hybrid sitting of Parliament. They think that's done. Now the time for that's passed. Right. They want all MPs back in their chairs. A hybrid sitting of Parliament would solve that problem. Because, you know, if, if unvaccinated or MPs who refuse to disclose their vaccination are not allowed into the precinct, not allowed into the House of Commons. They'd certainly be able to do their duty by voting virtually and participating virtually. But Conservatives don't believe that option should be there anymore. They want all the uh, the sittings uh, to happen in person. So um, there's some runway left to, uh, to, uh, to to watch on this. But in the next few weeks, we're, we're going to see where Conservatives come down and whether they continue to oppose it or whether at some point uh, they see what MPs are doing, they see what uh, the mood is in the vast majority of the country and say, okay, we're prepared to abide by the rule, or we're prepared to then go with hybrid sittings. Yeah. All right, uh, Peter, let's talk about Jean Chrétien, who, um, uh, the former Prime Minister, has a new book out. He made the rounds on some of the uh, televised uh, political talk shows on the weekend. Uh, his new book, My Stories, My Times, Volume 2. Um, and in it, he uh, he talks a lot about the Meng Wanzhou situation, Canada's relationship with China. He suggests that uh, the government, and if, if he'd been prime minister, it would have been handled more uh, as, a, as a political rather than a criminal or a judicial process and would have been resolved much sooner. And he also suggests that Justin Trudeau and his advisors uh, would have been better served to listen to some veterans in the party, perhaps like Chrétien himself, the way that uh, Chrétien relied on Mitchell Sharp as an advisor when he became prime minister in 1993. So um, some interesting uh, perspectives from uh, the former prime minister. Yeah, it's, and it's not fair to to sort of suggest that Jean Chrétien is back. Like Jean Chrétien never really leaves, right? He's, <laughs> he, he's there when you, uh, you know, uh, when you need uh, to run some stuff by so a former prime minister. He's he's usually pretty happy to engage. Um, you know, on 
you know, a lot of the stuff that we heard over the weekend is, is kind of interesting in that he talks about the challenges of inflation, the challenges of mass spending. Uh, but he's pretty forgiving of the government saying, you know, we had to do it. We're in, we're going to enter a dark alley, but we had to go into the dark alley because we needed to do all the spending. It was unheard of, uh, the pandemic, and, and governments had to react. So he's not overly critical, I don't think. And, you know, on the on the handling of the China issues and the broader issue of might have been better served by listing uh, to some of the old guard. Well, there was a lot of the, the old guard at the in the early days of the the Meng Wanzhou case, talking about you know a prisoner swap, and you know I've heard this before uh, from from liberals that you know uh, a lot of the Trudeauites, the Justin Trudeauites, uh, haven't done much relying on uh, those you know those those old liberals or the old liberal guard. And the suggestion being that uh, some of their advice might have been useful uh, to keep a prime minister out of some of the problems that he's run into in terms of holidays and ethics questions and uh, some of the decisions he's made. Uh, liberals have suggested to me that, you know, some uh, some advice from people who had been there longer than just the, the Trudeau years might have been useful. And I think some of that's echoed in what we're hearing from Jean Chrétien. Yeah. All right. Very interesting stuff, Peter. Thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, we'll be watching tomorrow as the new cabinet is unveiled. Thanks a lot. All right. Great to talk to you, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. It is important uh, that we take the right decisions in the right way to ensure that uh, survivors and all who serve in the Canadian Armed Forces are at the centre of decisions taken. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Matt Gurney argues Justin Trudeau can no longer put off the military misconduct mess. Gurney writes, The senior command of the Canadian Armed Forces is obviously in a state of disarray. This sends a terrible message to our allies and our enemies, and can't be doing much for the morale of the military's fighting men and women at a time when we've needed to call on them over and over for help during the pandemic. This is the kind of problem that any federal government ought to be concerned about fixing. And this is also a rare instance in which the power to do so is entirely within the Prime Minister's grasp. In the Toronto Star, Chantal Hébert argues Aaron O'Toole is chasing Jason Kenney and Doug Ford in a race to the bottom. Hébert writes, In previous lean times, federal Conservatives tended to look to strong premiers in Ontario and Alberta to fill a leadership vacuum. But Jason Kenney's star has fallen to precipitous depths, and Doug Ford's government has essentially taken itself out of some of the most existential policy debates of the times. While the federal Conservatives look increasingly rudderless, Canada's leading Conservative premiers are more likely to drag down the Conservative movement than to anchor it. In McLean's Philippe J. Fournier asks if Jason Kenney will sink the United Conservative Party experiment. Fournier writes, The equalization referendum may have given Jason Kenney an opportunity to return to a recipe that has served him well in the past, fighting against the federal liberals. However, with little appetite from coast to coast for a reopening of constitutional negotiations, it's unlikely that the referendum will give Kenney the leverage he expected to gain from it. Over the coming months, he will have to pivot to governing through the pandemic to fend off not the Prime Minister, but the UCP's provincial rivals. 
Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will join Germany's State Secretary at the Ministry for the Environment for a news conference on the launch of the Climate Finance Delivery Plan. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will speak today with British Columbia Premier John Horgan. And Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will join Germany's State Secretary at the Ministry for the Environment for a news conference on the launch of the Climate Finance Delivery Plan. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, October 25th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. And join CPAC tomorrow for coverage of the swearing-in of the new cabinet. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.